Welcome to Crack the Customer Code, where your hosts, Jeannie and Adam, unlock the secrets to keeping your customers happy and coming back for more. Jeannie, I feel like you were more qualified for this podcast episode than I am. (laughs) Wait, this one or all of them? See, I knew you were going to do, I, I give you a compliment and- You set it up for me. Come you on. go negative. You would have done the same thing. You would have done the same thing. I just learned from you. <laughs> is that what it is? <laughs> yeah, you, you're my mentor. That's a great way to reverse everything. <laughs> I'm rubber, you're glue, Jeannie. Yeah. I'm just saying. Well, so there's, the, that's a valid point. There's a reason I said that before you turned it into an exercise in fantasy. <laughs> Because you are a true big team sports fan. I didn't grow up having a team. I grew up in a small city uh, that did not have any type of professional sports team. We had to sort of root for the one that was closest. Mm -hmm. Uh, But you are a true diehard Cubs fan. You may be a fan of some other things, but the Cubs is what I hear about the most. Yes, the Cubs is the one that is in my heart. Uh, And And I know we've talked about sports experience before. But today we are talking to the expert in sports experience. Yeah, this was a really fun conversation. And I think there's so much we can learn as customer experience professionals who work with businesses and different types of organizations and the sports fan experience, because it really is about so much more than what they used to call, quote unquote, the product, right? The game is actually what they're selling. But it's beyond that now. Like we expect great food in stadiums and we expect to be entertained even if our team is losing. And we talk in this conversation about parking. We have to have some sort of value for the second mortgage on our house. Right. (laughs) Right. Because everything's gotten so expensive. Yes. Uh, So, But you're right. That's the analogy, right? That's what's so interesting about this is it's a true, it's a truly in sort of representative template that can be applied to so many experiences and products where Mm -hmm. it is the product is becoming more and more commoditized in so many industries and the experience Mm -hmm. is the differentiator. Amen. And I think there are a lot of lessons in this one. So I think we should just get to it. What do you think? Let's do it. Let's hear all about Bill. Bill Gertine is known throughout the sports industry as the 800-pound gorilla of sales performance. That's quite a title. (laughs) He has worked with the ticket sales and service departments of more than 100 pro pro sports teams throughout North America and Mexico, helping them sell out their stadiums and keeping fans coming back. Bill is the author of two books on sales, service, and marketing, including The 800-Pound Gorilla of Sales, How to Dominate Your Market, and Reality Sells, a book about bringing authenticity to your marketing message and to the customer experience. Welcome, Bill. We're so happy that you could join us today. Thrilled to be here. I so appreciate it, Jeannie and Adam. Thanks for having me. Oh, fantastic. We're so excited. And I want to dive right in because we are talking about sporting events and well, yeah, when you talk about a sporting event, we really don't talk about experience so much. We talk about players, wins and losses. Mm-hmm. We don't talk about that experience inside the stadium as much. And what we want to know is, are we moving that direction? What sort of interests have teams shown in trying to make a better experience for their fans? Does that matter? Is that a competitive advantage? Or, or 
is their audience already sort of built in because of they're the team, you know, for the city or the area? Well, you would think that it's uh, kind of a no-brainer, that they ought to be able to provide the best service possible to anyone. And that is changing. There have been, up until very recently, not a lot of things done with customer experience within the confines of a sporting arena or a stadium. They felt like the team would bring everyone in and everything would be great and it would be no problem at all. We'll just go head on as we do. And and uh, if the service is mediocre, eh, it's not as important as whether or not the guy scores his touchdown or whether a guy hits a home run. And what we're finding is that as people evolve in terms of their expectations, that customer experience has become almost as important, if not more important, than the team's wins and losses. Indeed, many of the teams that are now selling group experiences uh, more heavily where a YMCA or a group from your work might come out to an office. Very few people even care if the team wins or loses. Many of them don't even know after they going home. It's, oh, did the team win or did they lose? It didn't matter to them. They came (laughs) just to enjoy the experience. And so what we're learning is that the experience now is far more important to the overall health of a sports organization. And many people are now measuring that sort of thing because they have to be more competitive. There's another side of this that has become more and more a part of it, and that is how good television coverage has been and how easy it is for you to get the games, get the scores, get everything that you need if you're a fan. And mm-hmm. so it has created fewer and fewer reasons for someone to be at the stadium for the games themselves. And so you find that teams are, are resorting to many different kinds of things in order to attract them to the ballparks because the, the experience is so darn good at home. NASCAR is probably the best example of this because of the increase in the coverage of NASCAR. If you've ever watched it on TV, they have things like the crank it up section where they literally have no one on the microphone for a minute or a minute and a half as they do the close-ups or the the sound of the cars as they're revving and passing and all of the sounds that you might hear at the track. Literally, if you have a surround sound in your home and you've got a 70-inch big screen, it's like you're right there on the track with them. And so what teams are having to compete with literally are the ways in which their coverage is being done. And it's so much nicer to be a fan at home than it used to be. And so customer experience has to be as good as humanly possible in order to attract more fans. Well, and it's interesting you say that about NASCAR and kind of just general ballparks, because one of the things I've observed, and I don't know if this is part of this movement or if it's kind of a reaction to the fact that, you know, several years ago, um, I think it was Time Magazine did a cover story on how expensive it was to go to the ballpark with your family, to go to a major Mm -hmm. league baseball game. And the tickets had gotten so pricey. The food was so expensive. It was kind of a big deal now. And when I grew up, I used to go to Wrigley Field for $10 to sit in the bleachers. (laughs) Like that is insanity now, right? Like that, but it wasn't that long ago, everybody, just to be clear. Um, well, yeah, I mean, that's when you had to go watch the newsreel first before going to the game. So, you know. No, 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 no. <laughs> but it, all of a sudden, there was this shift in pricing and marketing and all these things. And one of the things I've seen, and I'm curious about your thoughts on this, is there are all these uh, minor league situations popping up both in baseball. I've seen it in hockey basketball, all these different ways that these more kind of hyper local teams are attracting families to go watch them because it's affordable and they put a lot of effort into the experience. 
So I'm just curious, do you think that's like a reaction to that pricing thing? Or do you think that this is just another example of how sports owners, sports, sports teams owners are looking at how can we provide a better experience for our customers? Well, there's, there's so many layers to that, Jeannie. I'll take one at a time because there, there's a lot to that. And your observation is correct. It, it costs over $400 for a family of four to see a New York Yankees game. Mm. And wow. to be able to have a normal, quote unquote, family of four see that is almost uh, ludicrous. Right. And so what minor leagues have done, and this is baseball and hockey and all the others, have created family-friendly, affordable options for those who cannot afford the big leagues, if you will, mm -hmm. and it have created these amazing fan experiences for those who attend because you don't go to see the players at a minor league baseball game. Right. Very rarely, there's uh, there are things called uh, rehabs uh, where someone who is recovering from an injury might go down to the minor leagues and play perhaps one game or two games, and that rehab appearance becomes the sellout because everybody wants to see that top name player in a very small environment like a mm -hmm. minor league ballpark. But that's very rare. What they're really going for is the fun and the the value that a mm -hmm. family gets when they go. And the minor leagues have put great pains into the fan experience and what's done in between the innings and are you comfortable and is the food outstanding and are we doing special contests and promotions and giveaways to be able to attract them. Mm -hmm. So I would say it's, it's, it's a convergence of things. One did not beget the other. They have both just grown up at the same time. And so you see many others who used to be, like you say, Cub fans or whatever they happen to be, really being squeezed out and into parks in the Chicago area, like the Kane County Cougars and the mm -hmm. Schaumburg Boomers and some teams that are minor league in nature, but major league in terms of the fan experience and the fan value. Right. Right. So yeah. that's interesting. And uh, you should definitely check out, Bill, our episode with uh, a fellow named Jesse Cole, our buddy. Uh, he runs a, a very, not even a minor league team. He explained how low down the leagues it was. And oh, I, I yeah. can't even describe it, but it's called the Savannah Bananas. But it's all experience. It's like not about the baseball at all. It's fascinating. Jesse is a very good friend. Oh, he was a very good buddy before he was a good buddy of yours, I think. <laughs> oh, nice. Okay. Well, in that case, you know Jesse. Yeah. So that's exactly what you're talking about, right? Yeah, I mean, th exactly those types that. of teams. Yeah. Jesse takes that to an extreme. And, and mm -hmm. he, may be one of the very best at understanding the nature of what he's doing. He's not a baseball team. He's an entertainment venue. That's right. And every single thing that happens in his ballpark in Savannah, Georgia, is tailored toward the customer experience. Most other minor league clubs have some of that philosophy. And thank goodness they do, because that's the thing they hang their hat on, because they can't hang their hat on a superstar. The San Diego Padres this year, hired Manny Machado, take, took him out of free agency, and he became their star player. Came from the Baltimore Orioles, and he was going to be the poster child for the Padres. And he has been. He's done a masterful job of being able to get people excited about watching Padres baseball. But what happens after Manny, if, if Manny gets hurt, if something happens to Manny, if you're not necessarily a fan of Manny, they put all of their eggs into a single basket. Now, that's not to say the Padres aren't doing some of the wonderful fan experience kinds of things that others do as well. But if you have so much invested in a single player or a single thing happening on the field, 
you are beholden to wins and losses. And most teams cannot be beholden like that. They cannot expect that the team will win. So they must be able to perform those kinds of things that people love day in and day out, regardless of how the team does. And that's why fan experience has become more and more into the forefront because it's so important now. So this is a little off to the side. I don't. I want to be very careful that this doesn't become a political question. But and we're going to get to your book. But I really am curious if if you talk about four hundred dollars for a family to go to the Yankees game, mm-hmm. right? Are we getting to the point where Major League Sports is becoming, you know, is mimicking the stratification, economic stratification of society? And are these teams only going to be? Is it going to affect their brand if you know so much of the community can only see them digitally? Over, you know, if, if you look 10, 20 years in the future, use your crystal ball, Bill. But, you know, what does that do? What does that do for the brand when the only, you know, only a small segment of the population can ever go see the team live and have that experience? Well, there are some futuristic answers to that. The NBA is probably in the forefront of some of the other ways to experience their product, such as virtual reality or some other ways in which you can be there without physically, quote unquote, being there which may end up opening up an, the, uh, uh, an entire realm of ways to, quote unquote, experience a team in action. And so there are lots of people in the industry talking about this very same thing, the, the chasm between the haves and the have-nots, and only the haves will be able to afford to be there. Uh, we're moving more and more into that realm. And so uh, I think it will make minor leagues and those who are not at the top levels of sports far more important in the strata of experiential for sports. And I think the major leagues do hope that once people see the double A and the triple A team at the minors, that they will want to go see them at the major league level. But we're seeing now because of season tickets being so expensive and so much less of us, a lifestyle that we're going to different kinds of packages and different ways in which to experience the team. And you're also seeing this in some of the packages that are being created for uh, tickets. Uh, for example, the St. Louis Cardinals three years ago introduced a, what they call a ballpark pass. And I may be getting the name wrong, but it essentially gave you 30 days of access into the ballpark without a seat. Mm. You got into the bars and the restaurants and the places that don't have a seat. And you had standing room only, essentially, at the Cardinals game. And for a, a nominal fee, wow. I believe, say $39 a month, which was charged automatically to your credit card. Uh, you essentially got to get into the ballpark without having a seat and you could not sit in any of the seats that was, it was monitored that way. So essentially what you're doing is you're buying a, in essence, a, uh, oh, what would you call it? A, a uh, it's a cover charge. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. It's a cover charge to going into being where the action is. Mm-hmm. And this is where sports is evolving. And I think what you're going to find are more and more people that want to be other places other than a single seat for an entire game. And you'll probably end up paying less for that. So in answer to your question, families of four may end up with a different kind of experience at a ballpark than simply sitting in a seat and enjoying a game for nine innings. So, Bill, I'm curious, what do you think and how do you kind of guide your clients? Because I know you work with a lot of these teams uh, throughout Mm -hmm. the country and elsewhere. And I'm just curious, what are some of the things that you think are part of the experience that are really important to fans that maybe they've overlooked, that maybe you have to say, you know what, this is important, but you guys better get this, get your act together over here. Is there anything you see kind of consistently in this world that, uh, you know, is important to fans that maybe isn't as addressed as it should be? 
Well, there, there are more and more people who do that type of training and, and that type of expo the, the consulting to mm -hmm. make sure that each aspect of that is taken care of. But there are a couple of places that I see experiences lacking that aren't addressed very often. It actually starts with parking, mm. with the parking That's experience, whether or not someone was very gruff in bringing you to a space or parked you too close to another car or didn't really care if everybody was, you know, not opening their car doors at the same time. Uh, and it, it leads to door dings. And all of a sudden, even before you get into the stadium, you're, you're angry. Right, right. Uh, so <laughs> it, it, it sounds really simplistic, but I mean, this is something that I believe teams must address. Now, many of them will say, well, that's another outsourced service that we, mm -hmm. you know, contract with, but it's ultimately not going to come back to that service. It's going to come back to who? The team. Yes. Oh, it does. I, can, I, I can guarantee you right now, there are an innumerable number of uh, Orlando Magic games I have not gone to because I did not want to deal with it. <laughs> the parking Seriously, specifically just did not want to do, yeah because it is yeah. like lord of the flies i went there for one of the playoff games with actually an nsa colleague of all of ours and um it was it was literally like lord of the flies it uh. was like survival i was in mud it was insane <laughs> um and i mean that's like a whole that's a it's a great point though because that is a layer of consideration that affects me as a fan or even a potential fan in this case. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it doesn't require a whole lot because no one can do anything about the surface on which you're going to be parking. No one can do anything about the barriers or the, the fencing or whatever's around there. But the way in which a parker is being treated can be altered and affected by good training and understanding that it does affect the overall experience before you even get there. Mm-hmm. Uh, another, as you're coming in, is the experience that you have from individuals who uh, cost you prior to going in with, <laughs> got any tickets, or I'm, I'm selling tickets, or I'm doing something that I'm creating commerce with before you even walk in. Yeah. Uh, on occasion, it can even be more of a panhandling kind of situation, depending on how far it is that you've parked away. Uh, there are some venues in Orlando, even to your point, Adam, that are in areas that uh, have a, a large contingency of that. And it is one of those things that I believe needs to be addressed as someone walks in. The comfort level of a family walking from their car to the stadium, in my opinion, is hugely overlooked in terms of the overall customer experience. Mm -hmm. They're really talking about taking control, you know, sort of saying the experience doesn't end stop at the door, right? Understanding the entire experience. Yeah, the Jets actually had a name for it when they opened New Jets Stadium. It was the vision that they had painted called Street to Seat. I like that. Yeah. And it was the experience that you had coming in. When the Jets created New Jets Stadium there in uh, just outside of New York, they had a, a an off-ramp specifically created on, in the traffic sense, for only their VIPs, there was a parking space just for there, it, it, for them, in a garage that was shielded or, or was covered, and a walkway from that garage to New Jet Stadium. And so they described that experience of being able to pull off as all the other people are honking and beeping at each other to try to get past them and you smoothly glide off into this single lane with no traffic at all into your parking spot covered from the snow. 
but you now go up the elevator and you're on a covered heated walkway as you go from your parking lot all the way over to New Jet Stadium as you see the eight-story monolith of a, an atrium with all of the jet stars from the past staring at you as you go past with this giant uh, mural as you come in. So there's this, this visual that, there, that was painted to be able to allow the Jets to say, this is going to be something special that you haven't experienced before. And I think they may have been one of the very first to really take it to that nth degree in selling their seats to a new stadium. Well, just your description of that made me a little bit of a Jets fan. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was like, that sounds amazing. I want to go there. <laughs> well, as the Jet, for those of you who know the NFL, the Jets have needed something to cheer about yeah. <laughs> over the last several years. Yeah, and so well. from the experience prior to the game uh, has absolutely been something to cheer about if you're a Jets fan. Mm -hmm. Nicely, nicely done, Bill. <laughs> <laughs> and I'd love so to hear a little bit about your book. Actually, you have this book. Oh, sure. Uh, Reality Cells. I do. And I love that title, first of all. Um, and you said this this was really inspired by what you and your business partner were seeing. So what did you see that inspired you for that book? Well, Andy and I, Andy Corbis and I have been friends for many, many years. And it, when I was doing broadcast, he was he owned a, a honey-baked ham franchise. And he and I would talk ad infinitum about advertising and marketing and what was being said in that. And it bothered us as we heard people saying things on the radio or seeing them in print in advertising, saying things that weren't true about them. Someone would say, it, we have fast, friendly service. And you would come to their place and it wasn't fast and it wasn't friendly <laughs> and it wasn't service. And so we decided that authenticity would be a way to tell your genuine story in a way that wouldn't be deprecating as much as it would be endearing. And so we created the four laws of authenticity for those who are in business to be able to measure themselves and to allow others to see who they really are and for those not to be disappointed when they come into the door. And uh, it, it, it's it, with many people who have applied those laws and have used them, uh, it's made all the difference for them. And we're very pleased to hear that uh, back from uh, some of the stories that we've heard from others. Well, can you give us a quick breakdown of the four laws? Let's get a sense of them. We can do that. Uh, well, the four laws of authenticity are the law of freedom, the law of originality, the law of transparency, and the law of repeatability. And I can go through them very briefly if you'd like. The, the law dig of freedom. Into, dig into freedom for sure, because sure. the others seem very obvious. Freedom's interesting. <laughs> well, freedom, in order to be authentic, what we have stated is that one has to really understand the role in which they operate and to give people the freedom to be who they are and to be at their best. And we encourage businesses, when we talk to them, to have these reality checks. Uh, they're really designed to get people thinking in real terms about what do you have that you have going for you, not only as a company collectively, but individually through the employees that they have. What freedoms do they have with the kinds of expertise that they have that, that, that allows them that freedom? Would it be education? Would it be the kind of training that you do that allows people the freedom to be themselves? Would it be a product line that you have or the financial strength that you have or the personality uh, or perhaps the scarcity of the product that you have that be, gives you the freedom to do what it is that you want to do and help others get where they want to go? So that really became, uh, uh, for many people, it became one of those, oh my gosh, I can't believe I hadn't thought about that before, but it has been all the difference for them. And so that uh, hopefully that underscores a little bit about what that's about. 
Interesting. Okay. Very neat. Um, so uh, the book is called Reality Cells, right? And yes, that's correct. The four, yep. the four Laws of Authenticity. You can find out more about that in Reality Cells? Yes, correct. Yep. Excellent day. Well, Bill, this has been fantastic. This was really neat. I am so interested. I'm hoping that we'll get to talk uh, some more about everything that's going on in this world because it is really fascinating. But please uh, tell our listeners where they can find you, learn more about you, about Reality Cells, all that good stuff. Well, BillGertine.com is pretty easy. It's uh, The last name is spelled G-U-E-R-T-I-N. If you were to look at it, it looks like Gerton, sounds like 13. Okay. (laughs) And we'll make sure that's in the show notes and all your links and everything else. So this was fantastic. Thank you so much for joining us, Bill, and keep up the good work. And to you too as well. I enjoy the podcast. Keep up the great work on your end too, Jeannie and Adam. Thank you. Take care. Thanks, Bill. Well, I think, again, there are so many lessons. And the example that Bill brought up about the Jets and how they thought so carefully about that pre-game experience for their fans and parking and building up all those visuals like it did make me a little bit of a fan (laughs) oh yeah i mean just just the fact that they're putting that thought into it Mm -hmm. and taking this a little bit out of sports i I don't know if i ever told you this so we we did a cruise for a couple of round number uh, birthdays and uh, (laughs) things a while back uh and what's very interesting is the cruise line had actually partnered with um the Fort Lauderdale, uh, whatever you call it, the uh, port Mm. terminal, excuse me. And to make the terminal for that cruise ship an actual experience. So instead of just having the gangway Mm -hmm. onto the ship, like there's a nice, it's like the ship, like a nice waiting area and all that. That makes such a um, difference. Yeah. So uh, the Jets thing really sort of, it's sort of the moment had passed. I didn't want to interrupt, but yeah, like the Jets thing really reminded me of that. And that shows how these lessons can cross Mm -hmm, industries. For sure. And just thinking through that, it's not just the experience of when they walk in the front door. It's actually the experience of when they basically say, I'm going to the game now, um, or I'm going to the cruise now. Like it's not just about within the walls of your Uh, stadium or your venue. It's about thinking through the actual journey that your customers take. And that's what I love about that example. So I hope everybody learned from that. It was a really fun conversation and, you know, yay sports. (laughs) (laughs) Yay sports. (laughs) Let's just end on that. We're going to end on yay sports. (laughs) And Cubs. Okay, go Cubs. We'll end there. (laughs) So thank you so much for listening to Crack the Customer Code. We are a proud member of C-Suite Radio. Be sure to check out all the great business content at C-Suite Radio and C-SuiteTV.com. I'm Jeannie Walters, and you can learn more about me and our journey mapping programs, customer experience training, and speaking at experienceinvestigators.com. And I'm Adam Tapork, and you can learn more about our keynote speaking, customer service, training, and strategic advisory at customersvetstick.com. Until next time, take care of yourself. And take care of your customers.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.